Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 107 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Cannoli Fingers, and I'm joined here by my lavish co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, the man who's handled more paper than a mailman. I don't care what your pronouns are. You are not him. The gorilla of House Street, JJ. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, and I'm pumped for our guest today. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneur, investor, trader, and podcaster. He hosts the Investing with Wales podcast and the Twitter Spaces. Pitch your best idea. He's the man of Lupton Capital, where he provides weekly research reports, as well as 24-7 access to his portfolio, investment models, trading alerts, and market commentary. Talking about Jonah Lupton. Jonah, how's it going, man? What's going on, guys? How are you? Doing real good, man. Thanks. Good. For, so just, uh, just so you know, so uh, so pitch your best idea hasn't started yet. I'm planning to start that probably late May, early June. The idea is just you know we do two two spaces a week, mm-hmm. bring on three different people for each one, and give me your best pitch for your best idea. You know, for the next six to twelve months, and just see what people come up with. You know, hopefully, hopefully we get some decent pitches. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, sounds like a unique, uh, good idea. I like it, Jonah. Uh, before we get into like the trading type of talk, I, I wanted to bust your balls here for a second because, uh, you know, I see you got the Boston hat on. You're from Boston. Uh, like we were talking a little bit before. I'm originally from New York, but I'm in Florida. I'm in South Florida now. Um, and I went to a ton of Panthers games uh, this year. It's kind of adopted becoming a, you know, a Florida Panther fan down here, man. Uh, what an incredible series that was against the Bruins. You uh, you watch some of it. So. I mean, you're going to, you can bust my balls a few different ways today if you're from Miami, because not only did your Panthers knock off my Bruins, even though the Bruins set the all time record for points and wins in a season, mm-hmm. they get knocked out in the first round by the Panthers. And then Jimmy Butler and his Heat come into Boston last night and beat up my Celtics in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. So I, my new nickname for Jimmy. Jason Tatum is the magician because he disappears whenever you need him. Like <laughs> last night in the, he did not. So not only did he finish first team NBA fourth in the MVP voting dropped 51 points in game seven against the 76ers. He did not take a field goal shot last night in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't even understand how that's possible. So, you know, everyone wants to blame the coach. Like that's not the coach's fault. Like if you're, you know, the fourth best player in the league, demand the ball, you know, yeah. win that game, put the back, put the team on your shoulders like Butler does. So yeah, man, uh, Boston sports is not having a very good uh, spring here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you still got a lot of time left in that series, man. That Thankfully was... my stocks are doing well. <laughs> there we go. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a second, man. Uh, yeah. Actually, I went, I went to the game five down here um, against the Bruins, which the Panthers lost, but uh, man, that was an incredible series. I mean, even, I, I mean, the Bruins still played good in my opinion. I mean, it, it was just a tightly contested series. I mean, um, just great. I, for I, think I saw a stat, something like the, the last 10 president's cup trophy winners, which is the yeah. team that has the, the best record. The last 10, 10 President's Team, President's Cup trophy winners, none of them got out of the second round. And three of those 10 are the Bruins. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a curse. You know, you, you <laughs> give it thing. all, you, you go, you go all out in the regular season. And then by the time you get to the playoffs, you got like, you got nothing left. You're yeah. like, you're all burned out. You're exhausted. And then you get, you know, you get bounced in the first or second round. So yeah, brutal, brutal. 
Brutal, brutal. Uh, yeah, fun, fun series. Um, so Jonah, so uh, we'll jump into some trading talk here. Um, do I have a correct understanding that you you have a background in traditional finance? Yeah. So I mean, when I got out of college, I started at Morgan Stanley. So I spent ten years doing private wealth management. So building out portfolios, managing portfolios for high net worth individuals, institutions, and whatnot. And then in 2012, after the great financial crisis, I was just burned out. You know, for anyone that managed other people's money through the financial crisis, that was just a two and a half year slog, like just brutal. So I decided to walk away from the business, literally just walk away from the book of business I built. And I started doing technology startups. I did three or four different startups. I was actually crushing it with my last one, uh, turned down a eight figure offer for the company. And then the pandemic bankrupted us. (laughs) <laughs> so I got wiped out by the pandemic, unfortunately. So then I got back into full-time investing in, in 2020 and I've been doing it ever since. Nice. Nice. Interesting. So, so, so when you left, you know, working in traditional finance, um, you know, being an entre- uh, entrepreneur doing startups, so was this something always kind of in the back of your mind? Yeah. I mean, cause the problem is like when you're running money for other people, you realize like you want to be rich like them. You know, the guys that have $50 million, Mm -hmm. you know, I want that money. And they're all business owners. They're all entrepreneurs. They all built something. You know, they they all created a company. And I just decided like that was in my blood. Like I I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Now, I mean, I could have started my own investment firm. You know, that would have been kind of like the best of both worlds. And looking back, that's probably what I should have done uh, rather than getting into startups, which is obviously very, very risky. You're putting your own capital at risk to start with. And then you're raising, you know, raising capital from other investors, you know, and if the company doesn't work, everyone loses their money and then you start all over again. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, I probably would have stayed in the investment business and just started my own RIA, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to to go back and do things over again. So, I mean, I don't like, the thing I regret the most is turning down $10 million for my, my startup back in 2019, but I didn't know that there was a pandemic coming around the corner. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get to wake up every day and think about like, Oh, it'd be nice if I had $10 million in my account right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so while you were, um, while you're with the startup, while you're doing the startup, were you, I'm sure you're probably passively investing or were you a little bit active? More passive. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're running a startup with a, a, a small team of people, I think we were 20 people, I was traveling around the country full time, living out of a suitcase, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week on job sites because we were selling to uh, like big construction firms, hotels, uh, painting contractors. And, you know, I was on job sites like, you know, in in Sherwin Williams stores in the middle of nowhere, giving, you know, three hour demos like I don't have time to be managing a portfolio or doing research and following the market. So yeah, I was, I was passive for, you know, that 10 year stretch basically. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So your, your background in traditional finance, Jonah, did did this prep you at all for trading your own accounts at all? No, because when you're running money for high net worth people, you're always going to be on the conservative side. And, you know, my, the money I run right now for myself, I mean, I'm definitely a growth investor, mostly focused on small mid cap growth companies. And those just aren't the sort of stocks that you're going to be buying for a, you know, a 65 year old couple that's worth $10 million. You know, you're going to be buying them Apple and I mean, granted Apple, NVIDIA, you know, Meta, they've all done great this year, but you know, you're focused on those, you know, those, 
the the S&P companies, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it teaches you how to research. It teaches you how to build portfolios, diversification, risk management. I mean, that that you definitely learn from a traditional finance background. But in terms of like trading the sort of way that I trade now, I mean, that was, you know, when you're running money for a high net worth individual, you're definitely not trading their account. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's typically a buy and hold strategy of, of large cap stocks. And then in some, like nowadays, when you're doing wealth management for high net worth individuals, a lot of times you're not even doing any stock picking, right? Because your entire day should be spent meeting with your current clients and then going out looking for new clients. You know, it's all about asset gathering. So mm-hmm. you're just picking managers. You know, you're building a, an asset allocation style box. You know, we're going to put 15% in large cap growth, 15% in large cap value, 10% in mid cap growth, 10% mid cap value. And then you go out and find the best manager for each of those style boxes, whether it's a mutual fund, whether it's an ETF, whether it's a SMA manager, and then you're basically just playing quarterback, you know, you're just managing the managers. Um, So that's kind of the new way of doing it, you know, so if you want to get into wealth, like if you want to be in private wealth management, and you think you're going to be sitting at your desk all day doing research and picking stocks, you're probably kidding yourself because it's going to be hard to build a book of business that way. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. So just quick second uh, to give a shout out to our good friends of the podcast, Apex Trader and Top Step Funding. Any listener of this podcast that has the skills to pass an evaluation can become a prop trader fully funded by either Apex Trader or Top Step Funding. Our own micro futures trading community has many members who are now fully funded. No need to trade on your own. Keep 90% of the profits to learn more. You can visit the website at microefutures.com. So, so Jono, so once, you know, the pandemic hits, um, you start trading. Um, I know, you know, we spoke a little bit before you, uh, you have like your, you know, your technical, your day trading, maybe like your short-term swing portfolio, then you have like long-term. Uh, so when you, when you first came into trading, um, were there any resources at first that you went to, to, um, you know, to learn or, or was this something you were kind of self-taught? So the way it kind of unfolded is kind of crazy. Like I was living in Boston and sort of traveling before the pandemic. I had a big project, uh, in, Washington state in February of 2020. And then that's when we started to hear all these reports of COVID cases popping up. And like, there were a lot of COVID cases in that part of the country, the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So I remember canceling the trip, moving out of Boston, back down to my parents' house on the Cape, because I didn't know how bad the pandemic was going to be. I didn't want to be in Boston in a city if things got really bad, you know, in an apartment building surrounded by a bunch of strangers. I figured it'd be a lot safer at my parents' house on the Cape. So went down there and then obviously shit hit the fan in March of 2020 markets tanked. And I'm like, well, what the hell? Like I, I I'm obviously not going to be running my company anymore. Like what am I going to do to fill my spare time? So, you know, I just started day trading my portfolio and then I jumped on Twitter, you know, and found this community that people now call FinTwit. I guess it's been called FinTwit for many years. I just wasn't part of it. And jumped in and, you know, started talking to other investors and traders, sharing ideas. And that's when, you know, the market started to bounce back in April of 2020. So everyone's piling into the same stocks on Fintwit, right? Everyone's piling into Shopify, Peloton, Roku, Zoom, you know, CrowdStrike, Cloudflare. So we're all owning the same stocks, making a lot of money. And then later that year, I launched my Substack newsletter where I started writing you know, weekly research reports and some of the companies that I was investing in. And I guess I did the smart thing in late 2020 because I had no income that year. 
I'm like, okay, this is a good time to take the profits and all of these stocks that I just made a ton of money on, take the profits because I'm, you know, I don't have any income this year. So my capital gains tax will be minimal. So I sold all of my cloud stocks at the end of 2020, which turned out to be the right decision because obviously a lot of them got clobbered in 2021 and 2022. So, you know, I, I kind of fell into the, you know, by mistake, just because mm-hmm. of the tax situation, mm-hmm. I got out a lot of those stocks just in time. So nice. I put up some great numbers in 2020, put up great numbers in 2021. I was sort of doing both in my, and I had one portfolio where I was investing and trading in the same portfolio. And then, you know, as I'm launching my different services, some people really only care about the investing stuff. Some only care about the trading. So I decided to break it up into two different portfolios. So now I run an investment portfolio which is typically 20 to 30 stocks that I plan to hold for two to three years. You know, I might take profits shorter. I might hold them longer, but my average hold time is probably about 18 months to 24 months in that portfolio. And then the other portfolio is strictly based on technicals. Right now I have over 20 positions, which is, you know, definitely my max. And I'll go as low as zero positions, you know, depending on what the market is giving me, what the technicals are telling me, uh, you know, what the indexes are doing, you know, whether or not we have any big FOMC meetings coming up, CPI reports, you know, over the last six months, you know, those, have, you know, in some cases, those have been landmines. So mm-hmm. I'm typically taking a lot of risk off uh, heading into those meetings and, and CPI reports. Uh, now, year to date, my investment portfolio is doing better because I hold in, you know, I typically hold through earnings versus my trading portfolio. I'm only holding into earnings if I have at least an 8% cushion to work with. So, you know, I had some big winners on my investment portfolio this year. Celsius, for instance, the energy drink company is my biggest position. Second is Uber, which is obviously having a great year. Third is a company called Lantheus, which is up 91% year to date. Uh, and then I've, you know, I've, I've done pretty well. Like I, I got into Tesla near the lows, sold Tesla, took a 60 to 70% gain in that one. So I've, you know, Crocs, I got out of with a big gain, uh, a company called Exponential Fitness, I took some profits on. Uh, so that portfolio is doing great. You know, even though it's 30 stocks, the top 10 stocks represent about 75% of the portfolio. So I'm heavily weighted towards my best ideas. And then recently, I added a 40% position, uh, short position in ARKK, just to try to hedge my portfolio and protect some of those gains in case we get a pullback. But I started trimming that short today as ARKK pushed through the 200-day SMA. So now it's got to push through the VWAP from the February highs. If it pushes through the VWAP from the February highs, I'll continue trimming uh, my AR, my AR, my ARKK short. You know, In like a perfect scenario, it would continue pushing through the VWAP. It would push through the recent highs. I'd be out of my short, so I'd be max long riding growth, hopefully higher. And then ARKK gets rejected at the 200-day EMA. And then I throw a 50 or 60% short position back on. Markets pull back. You know, I'm obviously losing money in my in my longs, you know, hedging some of that with my short position in ARKK. And then, you know, you just rinse and repeat. <laughs> rinse and repeat. Yeah, so you uh, you mentioned, um, you know, some moving averages, VWAP, um, those are some, yeah, I, I love those, looking at those technicals. Uh, any other technical indicators that you're using, Jonah? I mean, so I use a combination of moving averages, VWAPs, you know, really just depends on the stock, the chart, you know, what the markets are doing. 
uh, recently. So I keep a list of all the stocks that gapped up after Q1 earnings. So I love, like, I don't like chasing them after a gap up, you know, let them gap up, let them run for a couple of days and then let them pull back into their seven, eight, nine, 10 day EMA. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I love to start a new position right at the eight or nine day EMA with a tight stop under the 10. And a lot of like, that's what you got with Uber, like perfect setup in Uber, Uber gapped up after earnings, pulled back into the 10 day EMA yesterday, started a position, tight stop loss. Today it's up 3%. Like love those setups. And then sometimes like I'll, I'll buy the, you know, former leaders in the market, you know, as they pull back, you know, they run out of steam. You start to see some selling pressure, some, um, uh, distribution on lower volume, you know, as they pull back to their 2123, sometimes I'll take a shot there. If they blow through that, I'll get stopped out with a small loss. And then I'll take another shot, maybe at like the 50 day EMA or 50 day SMA, or maybe there's some VWAP in there from like, you know, a recent gap up or, you know, some other pivot point. So, I mean, every, every chart's different. I mean, I spend, like I put out a newsletter every morning called trading the charts uh, and I typically spend about two hours going through maybe 200 different charts. And then I pick wow. out my 15 or 20 favorite charts and put it in the newsletter. And those are typically, like if I'm going to start any positions during the day, it's typically going to, it's typically going to come from those 20 charts. Yeah. So that's kind of how I narrow it down from 200 to 20. And then those are my 20, my 20 charts I focus on throughout the day. In addition to the positions I already have. Nice, nice. I like it. So, so Jonah, in the in your technical side of your portfolio, um, do you, do you let these run? Do you have profit targets? Like, what's what's the determining factor for you to take profit off the table? It is tough. I mean, because this is a choppy market. Um, certainly, like February, March were a hell of a lot choppier than than May has been. May's yeah. been a pretty decent month, so I'm letting them run a little bit farther now you know when when the chop starts to pick up and the the yeah. indexes are pulling back you know i definitely have to be a little bit more aggressive with my profit taking raising my stops a little bit more aggressively but you know like for instance as uber you know uber bounced off the 10-day ema yesterday as it pushes back through the you know the five-day ema i'll raise up my stop loss uh like for instance today i mean uh I mean, I, I've been raising my stop loss on Celsius for the past week. Uh, today, I raised, like, for instance, uh, First Solar. First Solar was up big earlier this week on reports they're buying some company. The stock was up like 25 or 30%. Didn't really make that much sense. And then it pulled back, I think, 10 or 15% over the last few days. And then I bought it today as it bounced off the, I want to say, the five or the six-day EMA. Um, so as it bounces, I mean, I'll, I'll raise my stops along the way. You know, I, I ran my stats yesterday uh, for my trading portfolio year to date, and I only have a 33% win rate, which I would I want it to be higher, but my average loss is only 2%. Yeah. So there like I keep my losses there. really, really small, and my average winner is 6.6%. That's just good business. So, yeah, it's not bad. Um, I mean, under 2% would be would be great. 6.6% is is you know, is good enough for me. I just, I want to try to get that win rate higher, but the fact that it's only 33% in this market in this choppy ass market, isn't bad. You know, if we were in a healthier bull market, it probably would be closer to 45%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I like to, you know, Jonah, like just listening to you talk, I think I trade in a, um, you know, a similar manner. Um, You know, it's not, 
the percent of the win rate doesn't really matter. I mean, it does, it does. And I get what you're saying. Right. But it's, you're, you're getting like a three to one on your wins to losses, um, which is, which is the main thing. And I know like some of the best people we've talked to, I know on the podcast, some of them have like win rates as low as like 25%. Oh, wow. And these guys are like highly profitable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, they're making money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when like, you know, there's that, um, I always use this movie quote in the, the movie, the Patriot with Mel Gibson, uh, after one of his sons gets killed, he takes his other two sons into the woods and they're about to ambush the British soldiers. And he says, aim small, miss small. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like my trading strategy. Like, yeah, I'm going to miss a lot. I'm going to miss two thirds of the time. But when I miss, make sure it's small. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't don't get emotional. Like, don't keep lowering your stop losses because you hate <laughs> taking a loss. Like, get out and wait for a better entry. There's thousands of stocks out there that probably exactly. have a better setup than what you're trying to hold on to. So cut your loss and go look for something better. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree anymore. Very Great true. movie too. Very Great true. movie too, by the way. Great movie. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I saw you had, um, you know, just while we're on the topic of uh, technicals and then we'll move on to some, uh, I want to ask you some fundamental stuff. Um, I saw you had Brian Shannon on your podcast um, and man, since um, that's just been one of my favorite technical indicators I've been using recently is the anchored VWAP. Uh, I loved, I just love the concept, uh, you know, seeing the supply and demand, seeing who's in control buyers or sellers. And I know something kind of JJ, kind of like you really were, uh, you instilled in me in the beginning um, of the trading. So I, I you, uh, you play around with uh, anchor VWAP at all, Jonah? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I use the VWAPs nonstop, but like some guys, like I'm not, I'm not really a day trader, like I'm more of a swing yeah. trader, position trader. Like, my like I'd love to get into a position and hold it for two, three, four weeks because I want to try to make 15 or 20% on a stock, not three, four or 5%. So some of the day traders, like they definitely look like, I never look at minute charts or two minute charts or five minute charts. Like I'm looking at day charts, you know, the, yeah. the daily sessions. Um, so like I love putting a VWAP, like right now the VWAP I'm using the most often is uh, the stocks that are pulling back, you know, are they holding the VWAP from either their like year to date lows or from those October, November lows? Mm-hmm. And then where are they in relation to the VWAP from the like a lot of these stocks, these growth stocks peaked out in early February. And now a lot of them are like trying to get through that VWAP from early February or like at least like the ARC mm-hmm. stocks are, you know, like I said, ARKK is right up against that VWAP from the February high. You know, if that can push through, I mean, I think that's certainly meaningful because it's gotten rejected there multiple times. So, so, yeah, I mean, I use VWAPs a lot. Um, like right now, with some of the stocks that are pulling back after Q1 earnings, you know, I'm anchoring that VWAP to, you know, like the day before and then, you know, the day it gapped up mm-hmm. and seeing where that VWAP is, making sure that that's holding. So I think VWAPs are incredibly important, especially if you're a trader, because not only like, yeah, I like using them, but other people are using them. And I feel like when you're trading, you need to think like other traders, like what are they looking at? You know, if they're using VWAPs, then you you need to use VWAPs too. Yeah. You know, if they're if they're using the 50 EMA instead of the 50 SMA, like then you should be looking at the 50 EMA, not the SMA. I mean, exactly. I look at both, but it's all about like, you know, the funds, the big traders, like, what are they looking at? They're the ones that yeah. move the markets. <laughs> exactly. Like who's transacting at that level, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what struck me about Brian, which I, I, I think um, maybe like like a lot of people don't talk about when I was when I was, you know, reading his books, he's so good at like the market psychology as well. Obviously, like the moving averages, 
you know, the, the BWAPs, but like, like you were mentioning, Jonah, like what are the other traders thinking here at this level and, and, you know, putting yourself in those shoes and, you know, then mixing it with the, uh, you know, the indicators, um, and, you know, making yourself a timely decision. Um, so, so Jonah, uh, fundamentals. So what, what are, what are some of the, you know, this is not my area at all. We you know, what are some of the, like the fundamentals, um, that you're looking at or what's going to trigger, um, you know, an alert for you to take, you know, put on a position for like two, three, four years. So, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I, I try to be industry agnostic. Like I'm not one of these guys that's all tech cloud software. I mean, tech cloud software is actually one of the smallest sectors of my portfolio because i just don't think valuations are that compelling right now and then you add in like stock-based compensation and all the dilution that brings and i just don't really see that much upside for a lot of those companies over the next three years like shopify for instance like yeah i love the company i just i'm not going to own the stock like i just don't think the stock at the current even though the stock's down like 75 80 from the all-time high i just don't think based on the fundamentals Growth is slowing down very, very quickly compared to where it was two years ago. And multi- and the margins are not expanding fast enough to make up for the slowdown in growth. So you're going to continue to see the multiple contract. And then you add in the SBC and it's like, where the how the hell is that stock going to outperform over exactly. the next three or four years versus a company that's growing faster, has better margins, less SBC. Like those are the stocks I want to own. So like, you know, Celsius is my biggest holding. I've been in Celsius for three years now. I was buying it at $12. As I started to see them pop up in more retail stores, I reached out to the company. I sort of got a feel for like what their strategy was. Uh, this was still during the pandemic. So they were pushing really hard on Amazon. And then once the pandemic ended, they did a deal with Anheuser-Busch to become their distributor. They started to increase their store count. And then like seven or eight months ago, they landed Pepsi as their main distributor, which nice. is a complete game changer. So now, you know, so when I first invested in Celsius, they were in like 30,000 stores. Now they're in 200,000 stores. It's everywhere. And wow. They wow. they hadn't even started placing their own branded coolers in stores yet. They'll have 20,000 of their own branded coolers in stores by the end of this year. And nice they one. also do like 4% of their sales outside of the U.S., Pepsi's like like the largest distributor outside of the US for beverages. So Pepsi's going to unlock a ton of growth and value for them over the next few years. So like my investment thesis was great before Pepsi, it's even better now. So, you know, every dip over the last 3 years I've been buying Celsius. So 2 months ago Celsius got back down into the low 80s. I was loading up and then they just crushed earnings so the stock's up 40% in the past few weeks. So, I mean, that's gone nice. from a big position to a much bigger position in my nice. portfolio. But like my investment thesis is still intact. You know, like they're still crushing it. They're beating the estimates. So fundamentals are strong. Margins are expanding faster than anyone expected. And they haven't even started to tap into the potential of what Pepsi brings them. You know, Uber, like I was buying Uber last summer when it was in the 20s. Now it's approaching 40. And my my thesis was they're destroying Lyft. Lyft is going to be like non-existent in the next couple of years because they're losing so much money. Like they just can't hang on for that much longer. And Uber has 100 million customers um, and they just continue to build this ecosystem, take more market share. 
uh, and it's going to be a free cash flow machine over the next few years. You know, they'll do two and a half billion of free cash flow this year. In the next couple of years, they should be doing six billion of, of free cash flow. You know, you throw a twenty-five multiple on that, and that's a hundred and fifty billion dollar company. Um, Jonah, I just want to just jump in here because you mentioned something that I talk about all the time, and nobody really talks about it. You're the first guest who's actually mentioned it. The dilution that comes, and I know Ray Ray's smiling because I know he knows where I'm going. With no, this, no, right? no, I'm smiling because he's, right? he's drinking a Celsius. Was that a Celsius? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah man. <laughs> he's staying all brand. Okay, push that portfolio. Let's move that bit up. Hey. I, have a, I actually have an entire fridge next to my desk full of Celsius. No joke. Nice. Now, SBC stock based compensation, right? Talk to us about how you view that. I, I am a big proponent. I mean, I look at this and I see these companies are issuing S8 paper like to anybody who will stick out their tongue. Some of these places, some of these companies have billion share S8 plans, right? So there's like a never ending supply of zero cost paper that's hitting the bid while you're like trying to invest in this company. Uh, please tell us about your views on this uh, so our listeners can, because it's always me I'm always like standing on a soapbox talking about it. So it's not, nice to hear somebody else. Not to mention the companies that are the, that have the most egregious dilution through SBC are typically the companies that are still founder led. So you mm-hmm. also have insider selling at the same time. Yeah. It's like a double whammy. They're selling their 144 paper and S8 stock. So the investor is just getting rained on with this stuff. And what's funny is like the market, you know, the company will come public, come public in 2018, 2019. And I have some companies in mind. I'm not going to call them out. But, you know, over the last three or four years, their founders have sold half a billion to a billion dollars <laughs> in stock. Uh, while the stocks are now down 60, 70, 80 percent from the highs, which isn't necessarily the founder's fault. Like I'm not blaming yeah. the no. founder for the stock price, but they were selling the whole way down. And then now they're buying back like $10 million of stock and the market's like, <laughs> yes, he believes. And it's like, yeah. dude, you just sold a billion dollars of stock <laughs> the last four years. Now he's buying 10 million. Like, are you shitting yeah. me? You're excited about that? Yeah. You know, he, just, he treats the company. These guys treat the companies like their personal ATM machines. Exactly. Um, there we but, go. Yeah, yeah. SBC. So I understand the, the purpose of SBC, right? It's yes. a non-cash way yeah. to compensate employees. So especially if companies are still losing money, you know, that means if you're doing SBC instead of salary, you're burning less cash. Um, but these companies certainly got carried away with it, especially the companies in cloud software, cybersecurity, where they're all, I guess, competing for talent. So in order to, you know, if you're yeah. CrowdStrike, in order to win that engineer away from Zscaler or Palo Alto, you got to give them more salary, more stock, et cetera. Uh, but SBC at some of these companies has just gotten out of control to the point where in some instances it's 30 to 40% of revenues. And then you look at that as a percentage of market cap and it's exactly. three, four, five percent dilution per year. Yeah. That that's just nuts. I mean, I come I I grew up in the penny stock world. I, I worked my way through the sewers of the penny stock world where we had, you know, cheap paper. And you're seeing the same thing in these large companies now where people are just lobbing out, you know, what was that? Palantir had a billion share S8. Oh yeah. Like if you ever wonder why that stock can never get ahead of itself, it's because there's a constant supply being introduced into the market. I, mean, I, so I like to go to Coifin and you can look at shares outstanding and you can look at a chart over the last three years. And some of these tech companies, I mean, it's just 
like up into the right, you know, like yeah. a straight diagonal line up into the right of shares outstanding. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, that is too many retail investors overlook it. I mean, at some point it catches up to the companies. I mean, look at Coinbase. I mean, I think Coinbase had over a billion dollars of SBC last year. Yeah. Uh, DraftKings has had some insane numbers to the, to the point where it's like 10% annual dilution. Yeah. Like, like per year, like that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. For companies you know, that still aren't even making money, they're still losing gobs of money. Insiders exactly. are selling and they're giving out SBC like it's freaking Halloween candy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, I mean, see, that's, a, that's another reason I love a company like Celsius. Celsius's SBC is under half a percent a year. It's wow. like point, it's like two tenths of a percent per year. That's um, good. They run a, a tight ship. One of my uh, my favorite companies now that I just started adding to after earnings is a company called Nubank. They're a digital bank down in Brazil. Uh, oh, Berkshire cool. Hathaway is actually a large shareholder. They own yeah. like a billion dollars of stock, maybe a little bit less. Uh, their SBC is like one tenth of a percent. So wow. I love that compared to like a US based fintech like SoFi, which is probably 5% annual dilution. Square, I think, is 2%. Hood and Coinbase are like eight to ten percent. Like U.S. fintechs are like of all the oh. sectors, U.S. fintech might be the worst with SBC, even worse than like software and cybersecurity. Uh, they love their paper. <laughs> oh, crazy! <laughs> so, Johnny, you uh, you do deep dives, um, you know, small mid caps, uh, then large and mega caps. Uh, I'm just curious though, what what you're currently seeing right now, and I, I guess we could start with like a small mid caps. Yeah, so I used to do just one newsletter and it was like a combination of small, mid and large. But after talking to some subscriber, subscribers, some of them, you know, that are more conservative really don't care about the small mid caps because they're just, you know, they consider them to be too risky. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of younger investors that like risk that want alpha, they don't care about the large caps, right? So I decided it just made sense to split it up into two. Uh, I, I probably won't do many mega caps. Like technically, I think a mega cap is over 200 billion. Like that's... I mean, I feel like there's probably already a million deep dives out there for every mega cap tech stock. Like, what could I possibly say about NVIDIA that hasn't been said already? So typically it's like the small caps as companies with with market caps or small mid market caps under 10 billion. And then the large cap is companies with market caps between 10 and 50 ballpark. Um, So the last couple of small small mid cap deep dives I've done, uh, Remitly was the most recent one. So that's a company that uh, helps mostly people like immigrants, for instance, in the U.S. send money back to their, you know, their families back home. And then remitly takes a, uh, you know, a transaction fee off off of that. And they're putting up some great fundamentals. Um, I mean, I do think that that company has some decent upside over the next few years if they can keep growing revenues at 30 percent, if they can continue expanding their profit margins. Um, so that's one that I did recently on the large cap side, the, the last two deep dives I did were Expedia and match.com. And now in full disclosure, I recently started a position in both companies. So match.com owns Tinder and hinge. So they're like a dating app juggernaut. You know, they basically own like all the largest dating apps except for Bumble. Um, and the stock is down 80% from the all-time high. But it's because growth is really, really slowed after the pandemic. Sure. And now it almost feels like a turnaround story. New management team, you know, revenue growth in the single digits, but still really good margins. 
So I'm, you know, I started a small position recently after the stock was down 80%. So my cost basis is like 3350, I think. Um, and I'm willing to give it, you know, two or three quarters to see if they can start to reaccelerate growth, do some cost cutting. Um, and if that's the case, then the stock has some potential. Expedia, you know, I did some some big comparisons, like some in-depth comparisons between Airbnb and booking.com, which are really the three like main travel companies that you think of outside of the hotels. And Expedia is the cheapest by far. Like they're all pretty much growing about the same pace. They all have pretty similar margins. Expedia is trading at under 11 times earnings and trading at like six or seven times free cash flow. So it has a 13% free cash flow yield, which is unheard of. Now, like I think the reason it's so cheap is everyone's afraid that travel demand has peaked and now we're going to run into a recession. So you're going to see, you know, like an earnings trough coming up for Expedia. But if we don't get a bad recession and we don't get a big pullback in earnings, Expedia is way too cheap down here at 90 bucks. And I think at that point, maybe it even becomes like a takeout candidate, maybe even for private equity. We know there's a shitload of money in private equity. There's like trillions of dollars mm-hmm. just sitting in cash. Like mm-hmm. why not buy a company like Expedia, big brand um, trading, you know, 13% free cash flow yield. You know, those Yahoo's in private equity, you could slap some debt <laughs> on there, you know, pay themselves exactly. a big old dividend, take it public in a few years at a higher multiple. Or the the one that I love, which is probably not going to happen, Uber should buy Expedia. So it would be accretive to earnings, like very accretive to earnings. Uh, they already said they want to build a super app. Like they've already launched flights in the UK. So mm-hmm. like they're clearly getting into like other forms of transportation and booking transportation. Like mm-hmm. I assume it's only a matter of time before you see Uber getting into the flights business in the US. And third of all, Dara, whatever the hell his last name is, Dara, the CEO of Uber, is the former CEO of Expedia. Like he knows that business better than anybody. So if Expedia, I mean, if Uber really wants to build a super app um, and they, they're going to do, they'll probably do four bill of free cash flow next year. Expedia will do two and a half to three bill of free cash flow next year. You put those two companies together and you have a company doing like $70 billion of revenue with $7 billion of free cash flow. Like that's a $150 billion company, in my opinion. So I think it makes sense. I'm just, I doubt it would ever happen, but yeah. it would be kind of funny if it did. Interesting. Uh, Cause it, isn't there, I don't think it was Uber, but I know there's like um, a company they're doing like air taxis or they're trying to do like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, a, there's, a, there's yeah. a few of those. I know. Um, so I know blade, I think blade is doing uh, like air uh, helicopter transportation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would almost make sense for Uber to buy them and do like, you know, Uber, Uber copter or whatever the hell they want to call it. <laughs> um, and then there are definitely these companies that are building these, I think they call it VTOLs, the vertical takeoff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're all EVs. So there's a couple of companies that are trying to build those. I don't know. I just can't, I can't imagine the freaking regulation, you know, around flying taxis. Like <laughs> how yeah. many years out could that be? And what exactly. and, and what is it for like intermediate distances? Like what what's the like the travel distance we're talking about here? For for what? Like like a like an air taxi. Like what like? Oh god, I don't even know. I mean, yeah, I mean, Uber's not in that business, so I really don't pay that much attention to it. I mean, for me, yeah. like 
the bear case for Uber, one, you run into a bad recession, travel demand comes down because those airport trips are so profitable for Uber. And then also, like, if you travel to a city and you're there with your family, your friends, or you're there for business, like, unless you're renting a car, you're probably taking Uber all over the place. So if people stop traveling, that's bad for Uber. So that's like, that would be like a shorter term, you know, bear thesis in the next 12 to 18 months if we get a bad recession. The other one is just what the hell happens with autonomous driving, like autonomous ride sharing. Right. Mm-hmm. If Tesla ever gets like full FSD, do they build out their own robo taxi network? Um, Waymo is working on some stuff like I don't know, like that would be, you know, does Uber partner with them? Do they compete against Uber? Like, I'm not really sure. Uh, so that, that's something like that would just be that's something I have to think about longer term. Sure. Uh, you know, does Tesla because like, I mean, that would be a pretty big selling point for Tesla if, if they get, you know, if they have full FSD and you can buy a Tesla and while you're sleeping or sitting in your office, your Tesla could be out there driving people around and you're making money off yeah, of it. <laughs> that's pretty freak. That's pretty compelling. That's pretty cool. Tesla owner. Exactly. Uh, I'd say so. That would, say. that would be a risk to Uber. Uh, one of the other stocks that I'm buying recently that I did a write up on. So I did a write up back in March when the stock was at $21. I started a position. They reported Q4 earnings, crushed it. The company is, it's on running, ticker symbol O-N-O-N. So they smashed Q4 earnings, raised guidance. Stock was up 30% the next day, rallied another 20% after that. So I was up like 55 or 60% on my on running position going into Q4 or Q1 earnings the other day. And they reported, so they raised guidance, they beat and raised, but the stock is down 20% in the past week because inventory buildup. And like, mm-hmm. I'm just laughing at that. Like the company's growing revenues at 80% year over year. They're landing distributors all over the country, all over the world. And you're going to bitch that they're building up their inventory in anticipation of growth and demand. Like, I just think that's hilarious. So all these analysts are focused on, inv- and like, I get it. Right? If you build up your inventory and you can't sell it, they need to start, you know, stuffing the channels at lower prices, mm-hmm. which you know, hurts your margins. But for a company that's growing at 80% year over year and executing very well, and anyone that goes to a public gym, like just look around the gym and you're going to see more people wearing these on sneakers than ever before. Uh, everyone I know that that uses the brand loves it. Like Nike is going out of style. Like 10 years ago, Nike dominated Reebok, Adidas, Under Armour. And now it's like on running, Hoka, APL, Noble, like those are the four brands that are taking market share from the four legacy companies. So, yeah, I mean, so I've been, so on running, it was up 60%. Now it's pulled back 20%, pulled back to the 100 day EMA. So now I get to add it to my investment portfolio again. Mm-hmm. And that thing has a, that has a lovely gap between that 2250 and $25 area. Oh, right? yeah. So there's a, oh, yeah. a nice, there should be a nice short covering bid when you come into that gap. So, you know, maybe that's where you can, uh, you know, start picking away at it again. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and now it's just like that stock went into the Q1 earnings report with a pretty lofty valuation. Like they probably needed to raise guidance a little bit more for the stock to hold where it was, but just, you know, like it just seems like everyone's going after their inventory buildup, which I just think is like, I've been through this with Crocs, 
with Deckers, with Celsius, like when these companies are in hyper growth mode, like I'd rather have them build up their inventory and have too much than not enough. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good one. Anything to get the people out of the Crocs in the gym, JJ? Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> I, Those I things, man. Crocs. I, I wear them around the house. They're so ugly. They are. I mean, I see people like we've got some guys in our like, you know, from our gym and stuff like that who are, you know, in the room. They wear them to the gym. They wear them to the club. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, like, not, not the Crocs in the gym, the club. That's that. Come on. That's I don't that's, know. That's that, that, they shouldn't even let them in. I that's mean, one of my best trades, yeah. like last year, Crocs got down below $50. So I was loading up because it, it was literally right after they reported Q2 earnings and they 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 reaffirmed $10 in gap EPS for the year. And the stock sells off under 50. And I'm like, they just confirmed, they just reaffirmed 10 bucks in gap EPS. You guys are selling the stock. It's now trading at five times gap EPS. And you guys are selling it. Like, what the hell am I missing here? And then the stock goes on like 180% tear after that. So mm-hmm. like sometimes, I mean, everyone says the market's efficient. Like that's bullshit. Like <laughs> it, the market gives you all these opportunities if you look yeah. hard enough and, and know what you're buying. Absolutely. I, I agree with that for sure. Um, you know, I, I haven't like looked at, um, like the, the stats or the data on the earnings this quarter, but just from, uh, my own trading, you know, I've been, you know, I, I have like these earning type of strategies where like either a day trade or maybe like a one, two day hold. And some of these have just been ripping, um, ripping on earnings. Have you, I'm, I'm assuming you've been seeing the same thing, Jonah. Yeah. I mean, most of my companies have all reported phenomenal earnings. Celsius crushed it, stock ripped. Lantheus crushed it, stock ripped. Uber crushed it, stock ripped. Melly, although Melly did pull back after earnings, but it's back to where it was. Um, so, I mean, overall, yeah, I mean, I think almost all my stocks have have acted well after earnings. I think, like, overall, uh, I think I heard someone on CNBC say that earnings, like, earnings have been better this quarter than expected. You've also seen some decent guidance raises, but with that said, earnings are still tracking, I believe, on S&P to be down 3% year over year. So, like, it feels like the earnings season is going better than ex- better than expected, but it's still down year over year. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that. Like, I hear some people saying that this is going to be the, the earnings trough. Other people say that we're not going to hit the earnings trough until later this year, early next year. Some people think that you can't – the market can't bottom until – until you have that earnings trough. Some people say you can't bottom until you, you know, until the recession starts. Some people say that you bottom before the recession. Like, I don't know. I am like, I've given up trying to predict macro (laughs) and you know, (laughs) where the market goes. Like I'm focused on individual stocks, fundamentals, technicals, like what I can control managing risk. And then I'm just going to let the market do whatever the hell the market wants to do. Like I do think that owning the indexes right now is stupid um, I just can't believe that there's that much more upside, especially in the market cap weighted indexes. Like you've already seen the mega cap stocks rip year to date. You know, NVIDIA, Meta, both up 100% year to date. Apple's up like 30% year to date. Like I just can't believe there's that much more multiple expansion left. So I don't think owning the the SPY or the triple Qs right here really makes that much sense. Like if anything, I would own RSP and and QQQE, which are the equal cap weighted indexes, because I I hope 
that you start to see some better breath. You see money coming mm. out of the mega cap tech stocks because of valuation, and you see it flowing into the other 490 names in the S&P 500, you know, because this market's been driven higher by those, you know, the top 10 stocks. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been something. Uh, so Jonah, so you, uh, you host a po- uh, podcast on uh, investing with whales. So why don't you plug the podcast right here? Give us a little, you know, just of what it's about. Yeah. So uh, last year I was doing interviews with CEOs and then I realized they're, they're just a pain in the ass. So they're like impossible <laughs> to get through to like, you'll send a hunt. You'll send a hundred emails to CEOs and you're lucky if you get like two responses and the two responses are usually from the IR department saying, Oh gosh, uh, we're, we're interested, but can we have a call next week to discuss this? So you got to jump on the phone with IR. You got to send them over the questions. Of course, they're like, yeah, none of these questions are appropriate. We can't, you know, we can't <laughs> get into these. So like, can you just ask high level stuff? And it's like, I might as well just send out the freaking investor presentation. Like if I can't ask yeah, exactly, the, I can't exactly. ask the good stuff. Like what the hell are we going to talk yeah. about? Like, I don't, well, I don't they don't want you to it. dig. They don't want you to dig in. Exactly. There, right. right? right. Like, and Hey, I did the IR job too in the early nineties. Right. So you're dealing with a phone chimp. That's what we used to call them. And you know, they just, they have no clue, right? No. They have, they have absolutely no clue. And, and their job is to protect the CEO from saying something right, stupid. Exactly. Right. And then <laughs> and there's the times where you actually do the interview and then you get an email from IR the next day saying, yeah, the CEO said this at that minute and this at that minute. Can you take that out? Oh, like, so now I, really? go, I can spend all this time editing it uh, afterwards. So oh, I, no, decided no, no. I got away from the CEO interviews and now I just inter- do interviews with like other investors and traders. Um, you know, where they can basically say whatever the hell they want and I can ask them whatever they want and they'll ask, they'll actually answer the questions. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we've ever had anyone, I think, say, take anything out, but, um, no, yeah, we just just always had traders, um, well, (laughs) and and a few other people, but, um, yeah, is, uh, you know, yeah, we've had the pleasure of talking to so many, um, intelligent traders, um, some of the best in the world, uh, historical guys, and, and I've learned so much. Um, had the honor to speak with them. Is there um talking about I've taken away a lot of lessons. Any any like one impactful episode where like maybe it made you uh maybe not rethink things, but maybe incorporate something into your style of trading or you know anything of the like? Good question from my interviews. Huh. Um whoa. I'm trying to think. Um oh man, you put me on the spot. I mean, I feel like I do learn something from everyone. I mean, everyone has their own style. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, Chris Mayer is the found, is the uh, author of 100 Baggers. So, I mean, he's looking for companies like 100 Baggers that he can literally hold for the next 20, 30 years. Like, that's a very, very different style than someone like a Brian Shannon, who's mm-hmm. day trading based on VWAPs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked to a couple hedge fund guys that are, you know, some are growth investors, some are value investors. Uh, talk to some special situation guys that are like, you know, playing ARB situations. So like that's, man, th- they are having a rough year. Like there's some, there's been some big deals announced this year where the ARBs get in there, you know, to make the yep. spread. And then the yep. FTC comes in and blows up the deal. And, you know, the stock that you're long into the close of the deal then drops 20, 25%. Oof. Like, oh man, like it's it's been a tough, I mean, there was just one the other day, I think it was, HZPN, I think, is the ticker. They were going to get acquired by Amgen, and the FTC said they're going to try to block it. So the stock dropped, I think, twenty percent. Like, 
bad, bad year for ARB. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not in the, in the uh-huh. ARB strategy business. Yeah. Um, what else? Yeah. I don't know, man. That's tough. I'd have to think about that one. Yeah. Yeah. No one, nothing's really coming to mind. Um, I guess I, I do appreciate, like, even though I, you know, I have a trading portfolio, like I still love the guys that are like digging into fundamentals, mm-hmm. spend a lot of time researching company, listening to earnings calls and, you know, trying to find stocks they can own for the next two, three, four years. Like, I, I, like that's still where my heart is. So I do appreciate those guys a little bit more than the traders, mm-hmm. but because I feel like that's, how, I mean, just, I mean, like this year, for instance, you know, my investment portfolio was outperforming my trading portfolio by about two to one. Mm-hmm. Um, be, but because in my trading portfolio, I've also been 50% cash half, you know, most of the year. Yeah. So, and, and I've gotten, I've gotten chopped up and chewed out of so many, you know, so many positions, you know, as I keep my stop losses really tight, you know, that means that in a choppy market, you just get kicked it's out tough. of position. It, it's like t- it's tough for that. Yeah. Like I've even had to adjust a little bit because of the chop as well. Right. Like, oh, like yeah. you said, like if you wait, cause I play the same type of strategy, right? Like, you know, maybe pull back to one of these EMAs or VWAP, et cetera, tight stop, but you're getting chopped out and then the move happens or, you know, the, so. the, the worst is you keep your, you keep your stops really tight, you know, two or three days before like a CPI report, knowing the market could, you know, drop after that. And you have two or three bad days leading into a CPI report. So you get, you know, you get, you know, kicked out of all your positions and then the freaking market rips on CPI, you know, and you're down to like 15% exposure and the market's up two or 3% without you. Like that's the worst. Yeah. 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 Thus, thus is trading. Uh, Jonah, I appreciate the conversation so far, man. Um, I always, uh, always like asking like some, like, uh, uh, non-market questions uh what what activities i know we mentioned the gym a little bit you look like you got some good size on you what's the what's the workout routine looking like uh workout workout routine is brutal um i typically go two i go two times a day so i typically go in the morning for legs and then afternoon for upper body uh and like the last few days i've been getting really really bad headaches and it's just because like everything was getting so tight in my necks and my neck and shoulders Mm -hmm. so i got a deep tissue massage so like, I don't know if you can see behind me, like next to that smaller couch is a massage table. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, there's a, there's an app called zeal and you can have a massage. You can like order a massage therapist on demand to come to your apartment. So I set up oh. the massage table. So I got a massage here yesterday for an hour and a half. Wow. She went so freaking deep because she was digging her elbow, <laughs> into, like every muscle, every joint tendon, like this little, like, you know, this soft, this like on your forearm. Yeah. There's like that little soft spot right at the top yeah. of your forearm, digging your freaking elbow in there. Like I couldn't wow. sleep last night because my body was in so much pain from her, her like dig I bruises all over my body. So uh <laughs> I, I didn't get to go to the gym last night because I was in too much. <laughs> but like, yeah, normally like I hit the gym once or twice a day pretty hard. Uh I don't do like max bench press. I don't do powerlifting anymore because I just you get hurt too often. Yeah. And then my new hobby, as you can see, is DJing. Nice. Okay, nice. So about, about eight or nine months ago, I bought a bunch of DJ equipment, uh, teaching myself how to DJ and, and do music production just for fun. Yeah. Nice. 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 Good nice. creative side. It's a great, yeah. good creative outlet. It, it yeah. definitely helps when, like, when the market's been bad for a few days. It's nice to be, you know, be able yeah. to get on the controller, throw on the headphones, and just kind of forget about everything else. Nice. Yeah, 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 very nice. Two a days, man. That's 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 good, man. Yeah, I've been. I've, yeah, that's. 
I've, I've been really trying to hit the track, man, a lot more. And like you said, man, I'm not, I'm not too much into the powerlifting and stuff. You know what I mean? Anymore. Just trying to be like lean functional. Um, and like you said, man, I, I'm not playing sports no more. You know what I right. mean? I'm just, I'm just trying to be, you know, look good, be healthy. <laughs> He's looking good for the beach. I got to lean down a little bit. Like I'm, I, I'm still doing my winter bulk, I think. And like <laughs> my mind's finally telling me that summer's around the corner. Like it's time to drop 20 pounds. So yeah, that's, that's, cool. uh, that's at the top of my to-do list for the next four to six weeks, you know, yeah, but- I just got to tighten up the diet. Like I just got to chill yeah. out with the cheese and the, <laughs> the bread and the pizza, you know, all the stuff you love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My girlfriend, my girlfriend got me to drop 46 pounds since I moved to London. Really? And, yeah. And you know, the, the fasting thing got me now she's got this glucose monitor in my thing. So I can't even cheat on my diet is, you know, I'm, does, I'm, she, uh, check, you know, does uh, she take your glucose every night? Oh yeah, she does. Like she's an anesthesiologist, right? Oh, she's got okay. two PhDs and a medical doctor, so oh, I can't yeah, outsmart sure. her, right? <laughs> but it's good though, because now I, you know, I, I dropped forty six pounds. I still need to drop another twenty, and because I used to be big and, and lift and stuff like that. But then you know, like, you know, I sat down in nineteen ninety six in this industry. I had a thirty two inch waist, you know, and a fifty four inch chest, and then next thing you know, it reverses, right? I think I had a 32 yeah. inch waist in college. I'm trying to get yeah. back. I think I, last summer, I think I might've gotten down to 32 inches, but I'm, I'm nice. definitely not there right now. I yeah, mean, what's funny. I don't know if you guys have seen those threads going around on Twitter. It's been a couple of weeks, but these people were talking about how they travel all around the world. And when they come to the U S they always gain weight and they feel like crap. Yeah. And then when they go back to Europe, like they lose that weight very quickly and they're, and they feel fine again. Like yeah. it's just, you know, like you've seen that talk recently about how, the McDonald's French fries in the UK have three ingredients. You know, McDonald's French fries in the US have like 14 ingredients. Wow. And like the, the US food supply is it's pretty effed up. Like you yeah. watch some of these like behind the scenes, you know, YouTube videos and you're like, how how do they get away with this shit? Exactly. Like it's disgusting when you see these factories and like how they treat ground beef and um, all the artificial flavoring they put in food to like make it look fresh and yeah. man, bad. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably, you know, for us Americans, Jonah, it's probably that much more important to stay active, right? And uh oh, yeah. in exercise because that, you know, I even noticed, man, like the um uh, you know, it's surprising to me, man. I thought I was getting these like good organic eggs. And then I, you know, I go to one of these like uh, farm fresh markets and I see the difference, like when you crack the yolk and I was just yeah. like, uh, it was insane, you know, but um, I mean, recently, like I was, I could feel my kidneys, like something wasn't up and I was drinking a lot of Gatorade zero and I did some research and Gatorade zero was banned in like half the countries around the world because of all really? the, I drank yes. that. I, I drank all that the crazy oh, stuff in it. Yep. So really? I'm like, okay, no more Gatorade Zero. And like since I got off Gatorade Zero, I've been feeling much better. Oh wow. So oh, now well. I just now I just do water with some BCAs in it. Like no more no more artificial yeah, Gatorade. Yeah, check out Gatorade. It's banned in a, it's actually banned in a lot of countries. Yeah, that's interesting you say because you know I talk about I've been going to the track. I I bring Gatorade Zero with me to the track. So good, <laughs> good thing you brought that up. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, good I was, thing. I mean, I go to the gym twice a day. I'm in the sauna for an hour a day. I was drinking like four or five Gatorade Zeros a day wow. for, the last, for the last year. So yeah. you just think about like all that artificial crap that was in my body. You know, oh, my body's yeah. finally like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> like, now, I got to ask because this is popular. Have you done this ice bath thing? No, I'm scared. No. 
Yeah. Um, I don't, where are people doing it? Like, I mean, I, I have a bathtub. Like, what do you dump ice in your bathtub? Or the cold shower thing, you know, where you where you're under cold water. This is like she's trying to get me into this next, right? To do this. Oh, that's a net. <laughs> so, I mean, and I, I'm I like, man, I'm yeah, from the cold shower thing. Know? Cold shower right. thing is interesting. You know, at the end of your shower, yeah, like just yeah. thirty seconds, like freezing cold. Yeah, and it does. Like it does. Like it sucks for thirty seconds, but when you yeah. get out, your body starts to warm up. Like all the blood's rushing to yeah. your extremities. You do get like that, you know that you I don't know euphoria feeling, or mm-hmm. you know it's that's the whole idea with like cryotherapy too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think so, certain people's gyms. Um, I mean, my gym doesn't have it, but I think they have like some like um, yeah, like these ice tubs at certain yeah. gyms and stuff, but. You know, man, I'm all I'm all about like optimization and like health and all that. But sometimes like these optimized bros like take shit so far. <laughs> like, I just want to fucking enjoy my life, man. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I was, Can I just I, have a cannoli, please? I watched yeah. the I watched the podcast of the day and I forget the guy's name, but he said, you know, his routine in the morning, like, you know, he wakes up and immediately puts on his shoes, goes outside and takes a walk, and then he comes in and he drinks like his you know, like he doesn't have he doesn't doesn't let himself have any caffeine for like two hours after he wakes up. And then he like, you know, he stretches and then meditates and he has like his green spirulina, whatever drink, then some other thing. And I'm like, dude, like, what is it like 12 o'clock before you actually start doing anything productive? Like (laughs) I I got work to do. Like, yeah. yeah. Like you gotta have a luxury. Yeah. You gotta have like the luxury to do a lot of this um, stuff as well. But um, you know, I always laugh. Um, you know, I think it was, you know, I was, I was looking at some of these old uh, hockey photos, Jonah. I forget how I came across it. And it was like one of the uh, Boston Bruin players, old school, like, you know, I don't know, like 40s, 50s. And they, they're they smoking cigarettes uh, during intermission. You know what I mean? <laughs> in, the, in the locker room. And I'm like, <laughs> or like, you I know there's just... a picture of the old Chiefs quarterback smoking on the sideline. Oh, uh, exactly. Crazy. I mean, you used to be able to smoke on airplanes. I think that's like the craziest thing ever. I still remember that. You right, you right. used to be able to smoke on yeah. airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you yep. imagine sitting on an airplane and half the people are smoking and it's just like this cloud Oh, it was horrible. I was I was just Holy like a little kid. I was crap. like five years old, but it was it was horrible. You I mean, know? I can you remember being younger and smoking in restaurants. Yeah. You know, and then like slowly, you know, states would ban it, but like then you travel around the country and you'd end up in a state where it wasn't banned yet, and you walk in, you're like, Oh my god, I can't and it's just like you know, five years, five years earlier, that was normal. But now it's like, I mean, think about that. Like now you can like kids nowadays are like, wait, you used to be able to smoke in restaurants? No way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I think the only place now you can still probably casinos, right? Indoors. That's probably, yeah. the, only, that's probably the only place I think. Last time I went to tennis, uh, I went to Knoxville, Tennessee a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of bars down there that still let you smoke cigarettes inside. Okay. But like that's that's like the last place I've seen that would allow you to do it. Yeah. The final <laughs> the final frontier for cigarette smokers. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think with that we'll conclude today's yeah. episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join a supportive and professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Jonah, let the listeners know where they can find you and anything else you'd like them to know. Yeah, best place to find me, just go to my website, luptoncapital.com. And you'll see links to my Twitter, my different Substack newsletters, my stock twits room, and my podcast. So all the links are right there on the landing page for you at luptoncapital.com. All right. Excellent. JJ, parting words? 
thank you so much, Jonah, for uh, being with us. Love to have you back. Uh, this market unfolds. Yeah, this is fun. It's uh, nice, nice to have real guys, you know, and get some really good information from the other side for our people. You know, cool. they, uh, glad I, glad I it's wonderful. I Thank help. you so much. I'm, I'm so, happy to come back anytime. Excellent, excellent. I had a good, had a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Jonah. So for Polly Walnuts, he's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, so. Later, guys. Good See you. That was cool.